0: We do indeed have a living hope, and his name is Jesus the Christ. It's so good to uh, be back with you here at this uh, Springbrook online format. I'm thankful for this opportunity to share this time and to worship together with you. You know, I have to say that uh, I really miss... Uh, gathering together face-to-face, and even though I had anticipated that it was probably going to come when the governor uh, announced the extension of the shelter-in-place order this past week, uh, I felt kind of down and uh, uh, realized once again just how much I'm missing being uh, face-to-face with so many people. But, you know, in our home, we had uh, some interesting news this week or uh, an interesting development, and that is that we uh, uh, got a new puppy from the shelter. It's uh, about a a, a 10-week-old lab shepherd mix, and uh, so we now have this puppy in our home. And I have to tell you, while puppies are super cute, they are also a lot of work. And uh, uh, now we have this puppy in our home. It's interesting because we also have uh, uh, another dog. about two and a half years old. And uh, what we've been experiencing is that this puppy with so much energy is wanting to play constantly. And uh, uh, the older dog is, is is doing pretty well with this, but uh, sometimes when uh, our older dog Heidi is 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 lying down or taking a nap or or just doing her own thing, the puppy will come up and all of a sudden jump on her, or uh, uh, she'll uh, go and uh, start uh, nibbling at her ear, or or trying to eat from her bowl. And uh, and, and while Heidi is doing well with this. Sometimes the puppy starts to push it a little bit too far. And so Heidi, our older dog, will get up and she'll start to growl and and the teeth will come out. And uh, uh, she shows that she is getting irritated with this young puppy. And it kind of made me think about uh, the fact that a lot of us are probably feeling... Uh, cooped up and this news of this uh, uh, extension of the shelter-in-place order, maybe we are are, are feeling it even more this week. And perhaps like uh, like our dog Heidi, uh, you are starting to find that uh, uh, your patience is running low and that there's some tensions that are starting to arise in your home. Or perhaps that's not the case with you, but, but uh, after hearing Pastor Rich's message last week as we kicked off this Peacemaker series, maybe uh, you have been just sensing that the Lord is laying on your heart a situation, a relationship uh, where there is some brokenness and where there needs to be some uh, reconciliation and restoration. Whatever the situation may be for you, I'm so thankful to be able to, uh, uh, once again, uh, uh, open God's word with you as we continue this Peacemaker series. And this morning, we're going to be looking together in the New Testament book of Matthew and in Matthew chapter five. And so I want to invite you to grab your Bible and to turn there with me, Matthew chapter five. And in a moment, we're going to be beginning in verse twenty one. As you're making your way there, this is uh, a part of what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And in fact, what we find in Matthew chapter 5 and chapter 6 and chapter 7 is, is really talking about the, uh, uh, Jesus describing the marks of a true disciple. Uh, a disciple is one who is a follower of Jesus, who is uh, in his power learning to live a transformed life in obedience to him. And as we heard last week from Pastor Rich, one of the hallmarks, one of the defining aspects of a Christian discipleship is that they are a peacemaker. And so for the sake of our time together this morning, I want you to think of these words kind of synonymously. There's a sense in which a, a, a genuine biblical disciple is a peacemaker and someone who is practicing genuine biblical Uh, A peacemaking in the power of the Holy Spirit uh, is demonstrating the reality of their discipleship in Christ. And so we find ourselves here in Matthew chapter 5 this morning. And uh, what we're going to see is that peacemakers reign in their own anger and they do everything that they can to reconcile with those who may be angry at them. Beginning in verse 21 of Matthew chapter five, we read these words. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Now, this is showing us that peacemakers need to understand that anger is a serious issue. And Jesus here in this uh, section of the Sermon on the Mount is exposing to us the heart of the commandment as well as our own guilt as lawbreakers through the Sermon on the Mount on six different occasions, Jesus introduces or he points back to a command or an instruction from the Old Testament. And he makes a, a statement that says something like, you have heard that it was said. And then he seems to uh, intensify or, or if you like, raise the bar on that commandment or that instruction from the Old Testament. And it, it's not that Jesus is changing the commandment Uh, it's not that he's giving a new commandment but what he is doing is he is pointing to the heart of the matter he is showing that that true righteousness before god is not simply a matter of trying to keep the letter of the law it is a heart issue and so here in this passage he starts off and he addresses the sixth of the ten commandments It's uh, the commandment that we find in Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. It's also repeated again later on in the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. And it simply says, you shall not murder. Now, like most of the uh, Jews in Jesus's day, I would imagine that most of us hear that particular commandment. And we think to ourselves, well, I'm doing pretty well with that one. Uh, do not murder. Well, I, I've never murdered someone, so check. I'm in good shape. Um, but what Jesus does is he points us to the heart of the matter here. Is he shows us that this is not simply about the violent taking of somebody else's life. But he says that I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. And so what he does here is he shows us that before God sinful anger is the root issue that leads to murder. And and that the murder itself is not the is is not the uh, the point that we need to be trying to keep away from, but the issue is that when we have sinful anger in our hearts, we are in a serious and precarious place before God and others. And so as he unfolds this year, he wants us to understand that actually every single one of us is a lawbreaker. Every single one of us falls short of God's perfect and holy standard. You know, sometimes we uh, will have a look at the Old Testament, we'll study it or or we'll come to the Ten Commandments and we'll read over them and we'll maybe wonder to ourselves, well, how does this fit for me uh, today in light of uh, Jesus's completed work at the cross? Uh, We celebrated Easter just a couple of weeks ago, and we celebrated the resurrection from the dead, and and we talk about this new life, and we talk about a a new covenant through Christ in his blood. So so what exactly do we do with the Old Testament commandments? And, And what we see Jesus showing us here is that they are still essential to us today, but not so much because we must be law keepers, but rather the law itself reveals to us our utter inability to keep it. But what we could not do for ourselves, thanks be to God, Christ has done on our behalf. You see, a few verses earlier, if you look back at chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And so uh, as as we see this instruction here in Matthew chapter 5 from Jesus, he is not simply announcing the bad news that every one of us is a lawbreaker, that that even if we had managed to perfectly keep all of the other 10 commandments, which none of us have, but even if we had, that we would still be guilty before a holy God because every single one of us has at one time or another been angry, And therefore committed murder against our brother in our heart. But what we could not do for ourselves. Christ came. Lived the perfect and sinless life. Fulfilled the righteous and good requirements of the law on our behalf. And then bore our sin in his body on the cross. To pay for our debt. And to purchase our forgiveness. And to provide for us new life and, and reconciliation to God the Father. And so Jesus not only announces what the what the judgment is here, the bad news that all of us fall short, that all of us have committed this sin of anger, but he shows us our desperate need, therefore, of a savior. And thanks be to God, he is in fact that savior that God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And so the most important thing that any of us can do is to make sure that first and foremost, that we are at peace with God. Being a peacemaker with others flows out of our own relationship and our own experience of having come to a place of being at peace with God. And so if you're listening to me today, if you're watching uh, uh, this, uh, this live stream, I want to let you know uh, that just like me, you stand guilty and and condemned before a holy God, you have uh, broken his perfect and good law. We've all done it in many different ways and at many different points, but as this passage points out, that, that even sinful anger, that anger towards another person is an expression of that lawlessness and therefore that without Christ and the righteousness that he provides, all of us stand condemned before God but that Jesus offers us, he invites us to respond to him, to take on his sinlessness, his righteousness, and receive his forgiveness. And to experience for ourselves what it is to be reconciled and at peace with the God who passionately loves us, who has created us for a relationship with himself. If you've never taken that step, then you can do that by by. Uh, simply praying, simply crying out to God and confessing that you're a sinner, acknowledging that you need a savior and asking for his forgiveness through Jesus Christ. And a little bit later in our time, uh, I want to share with you a way in which you can let us know if you've taken that step, because we have some uh, great resources that we want to get into your hands that will help you uh, to grow and uh, continue that relationship uh, that you're beginning with Jesus Christ. But anger... An insult, according to this passage, according to what Jesus says here, uh, uh, is such a serious matter that it results in consequences both now and for eternity. Notice he says, I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment and everyone who insults his brother will be liable to the council and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of and, and so, just as was the case with with committing murder, that there were consequences of that. So it's also true that from that place that that murderous anger comes from. That insults. Uh, that that anger, when it is directed towards other people, will often have consequences. It it, it may have consequences relationally between the two of you, you and the person that you're angry with. Uh, It may have consequences in a a communal sense in that there's division that begins to take place. It may have consequences in a civil or even a, a criminal Uh, aspect as well and that's what he points to here in this passage uh, when he refers to the council that would have been a group of of elders in a community who were entrusted uh, with the task of deciding uh, different cases and uh, uh, the outcomes and the consequences as a result of the uh, the actions of uh, of sin within the community But it's not just at the relational level or the communal level or or even at the societal level. Uh, Jesus, again, as we've just talked about, points to the fact that that anger towards another person who has been created in the image of God puts us in a place where we are in jeopardy of eternal consequences Eternal consequences for those who reject the forgiveness and the salvation that is found in Jesus Christ in that they will stand before God on that day of judgment and they will be condemned to an eternity apart from God. Because of their sin. But even for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, anger is still a serious issue because while we will not be judged based on uh, whether uh, uh, we will be condemned or not, those who are in Christ, who are secure in their salvation because of the work that he has completed on our behalf, we will still have to give an account before our holy God for every word that we have spoken, uh, for every thought and intention of the heart and every action. It's a serious matter. Anger and insult and attack is serious. And it's a serious matter. Uh, in which the peacemaker needs to uh, reign in their anger. Through the power of Christ. But how exactly do we do that? Well. The first thing that I think that uh, we need to recognize is that we have to stop making excuses when it comes to sinful behaviors and patterns in our life. Last week, Pastor Rich uh, talked about a a, a great book, uh, The Peacemaker by Ken Sandy, and he referred to this slippery slope diagram that is in there. On the one hand, there are attack Responses. On the other, there are escape responses. And, and, and that diagram is based, at least in part, on what Jesus is talking about here in Matthew chapter 5. And, and anger and insults, and uh, those would be a part of that attacking responses, which ultimately uh, result in murderous thoughts and even in some cases in, in murderous actions. Uh, but if we are to be peacemakers, Rather than to attack or rather than try to escape them, we need to, first of all, stop making excuses for those sinful patterns, those, the, the, that, that anger that comes up. Because, you know, sometimes we'll make an excuse and we'll say something like this. You made me so angry. And what we try to do is we try to shift the blame onto the other person. And while it may be very true that that person did something that was poorly thought out or even that was outright sinful toward us, we still are responsible for the way in which we respond to the actions and the words of others. They're responsible for their side of things, but we are responsible for how we respond. And so we have to be careful that we don't try to push the blame for our sinful response onto other people. But we need to own that. We need to acknowledge it. We need to recognize it for what it is. And so we need to stop making excuses. Another excuse that sometimes we'll make is we'll say something like, well, uh, it's not my fault that I have a short fuse. It runs in the family. Well, it may be true. Uh, maybe it kind of does run in the family. But again, ultimately, the way that we respond is something that we are responsible before God for. And so to to simply say, uh, I have no control over it, first of all, is is, is false. And and, and secondly, is, is, is simply an excuse that we need to do away with. And we need to acknowledge before God our part in the matter because anger is a serious matter. And peacemakers are those who in the power of Christ seek to rein in their anger. And so, uh, for example, if we go all the way back to the first book of the Bible, to the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter four, we find two brothers. Uh, Their names are Cain and Abel. And uh, they both present an offering to God in worship. Now, we don't know all of the details of what the situation was, but we're told that that. Abel's offering was good and it was acceptable to the Lord, while, uh, while Cain's in some way was not. And so Cain becomes jealous. He becomes furious, in fact, toward his brother Abel. And, and God gives him a warning. He says, sin is crouching at the door. It des- its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. He says, when the first temptation to anger, when the first temptation to this this heart issue, in his case of jealousy and and of anger arose, he's saying, you need to get on it right away. Sadly, despite that direct warning from God, Cain didn't do that. And in fact, he went on to murder his brother. Uh, But we have a warning here Uh, That we need to take this issue of anger seriously if we are to be a biblical peacemakers, if we're to be in obedience to God as disciples of Christ in this matter. And so how do we do that? Well, we not only stop making excuses, but we actually take our anger to God. You know, it's an emotion that all of us feel at different times, but we are not to be controlled by our emotions. And so we need to take our anger to God. And uh, For many of us, maybe a first step in being able to do that is if at all possible to remove ourselves from that immediate situation as quickly as we can and cry out to God over it and, and be honest with God and say, God, I, I'm mad over this. This just happened and I'm furious. Get real with God about it. And seek his forgiveness for that sinful anger that is, that, that is welling up towards someone else. Seek his, uh, his peace and his grace in the midst of that situation. Even if we've been wronged, Even if uh, we might think to ourselves, I have the right to be angry because of what that person said or what that person did. Scripture tells us that we ought to entrust our cause to God. In fact, in, in Romans chapter 12, verse 19, it says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. It is mine to repay, says the Lord. And so the idea, the instruction there is that even when somebody has sinned against us, although anger within us wells up and we want to do something to get revenge, to, to get back at them, to in some way uh, uh, damage or destroy or injure or insult them, to put up some form of defensive mechanism, we should entrust our cause to God, who will make all things right. And in fact, First Peter gives us uh, Christ Himself as our example in this. In First Peter chapter two, verse twenty-three, we read, "When he was reviled, he did not revile in return; when he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to Him." who judges justly and so it's speaking of the suffering the humiliation the anguish that Jesus went through that we've just been thinking about in recent weeks there on that good friday the beating the whipping the crucifixion and it's speaking about the fact that just as Jesus did not revile in return. So we ought not to do that either. So as we get near to God, as we take our anger to God and trust him with your cause and then ask God, for grace in the midst of it. You know, one of the things that I've found as I'm praying uh, about a situation in which I have been uh, struggling with anger is that I find that if I start to pray for the person that I am angry at and ask for God's blessing in their life in practical, tangible ways, uh, that it often diffuses the anger because, you see, in anger, we want, to, we want to get back at them. We want harm for that person in some way. We want to insult or injure them. But when we are praying for their blessings, it diffuses that. It turns it on its head. And God knits our heart in such a way that we actually desire their well-being and good. And then we ought to ask God to reveal to us why it is that we responded to that particular situation with anger. You know, sometimes we respond in anger because, because we're fearful. Because a situation, a circumstance, an action has uh, uh, caused us to be afraid. And let's be honest, in the midst of the season that we're in right now, uh, there are maybe more things than there even usually are for us to struggle with fear in the midst of. Fear over not only the situation with this virus, health concerns, but also the impact of that, how it's going to affect our family economically, how perhaps it's already affected our family economically. Uh, What's going to happen in the future? What are we going to do about kids for school? How long is this going to go on for? Sometimes our fear, our anger comes out of a place of fear. Sometimes it comes out of a place of a desire to control, uh, to control the situation or to control other people. And the way that they're behaving. Sometimes it's because we had some expectations, we had a desire that has not been met. But you know, when we seek God, when we take our anger to Him, when we ask Him to help us to see why it is that we responded in this way, oftentimes the Spirit of God will reveal to us a deeper issue where He is working in our life. But Jesus not only uh, uh, speaks of the serious nature of anger here in this passage. He goes on to give us two examples, uh, two illustrations, if you like, of how this serious nature of anger can, uh, if we're not careful, impact important areas of our life. And so uh, in verse 23, he says, so. If you are offering your gift at the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. And then in verse 25, it continues. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you will be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. And so we've got these, these two illustrations, these two different scenarios here, which are very helpful and instructive to us. And what we discover, first of all, is that peacemakers pursue reconciliation for the sake of true worship. Uh, the first example here that he gives is of somebody who's going to worship at the temple. Uh, they're showing up at the temple. They have a, a sacrifice or an offering or a gift of some sort to present at the altar. But perhaps as they're entering in, going towards the altar, uh, they they remember that there is an issue, that there is a, a conflict with another person. What's interesting here is that Jesus refers to this as being uh, a... The fact that you remember that your brother has something against you. The fact that he's referring to brother here suggests that he's referring to another believer. Uh, uh, somebody else who also is a follower of Christ. And, uh, and the conflict is with this other believer and we need to deal with it quickly. And, and I think that what we see here is both a principle and a priority. You see, the the principle here is if you know of an issue, even if the issue is on the other side toward you, you must be the one to initiate reconciliation. Notice it says, leave your gift and go and be reconciled. In fact, later on in the book of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 18, we see this same principle played out. It says there, if a brother sins against you, go to him. You know, sometimes we can be tempted again to make an excuse here. We can think, well, I know that there's an issue between me and this person. And if they'll come and apologize to me, then I'll be happy to reconcile. But that is not the behavior of a peacemaker. That's not the behavior of a follower of Christ. In fact, the instruction, the instruction that scripture gives to us is you be the initiator. Are you the one who wronged the other person? Go and confess. Take the initiative. Uh, have you been wronged by another person? Go and, and, and work to restore the relationship. Take the first step. You and I are responsible before God for taking that first step towards reconciliation. And so that's the principle here. Uh, but there's also a priority in this illustration that he gives us. And this priority is that anger And conflict in a relationship is such an important and serious matter that Jesus says, get it dealt with before you come to worship. Why? Because, you see, our relational conflict sets up barriers to our spiritual connection. you get that? Our relational conflicts set up barriers to our spiritual connection. And so he says, leave the gift at the altar. Go first be reconciled. It may be uh, that some of us need to take time on a Saturday morning and we need to, to before God prayerfully kind of do an inventory. We need to ask him to help us to see if there's anyone that, that, that has an issue with us or anyone that that we have any level of conflict with so that we can then take time on Saturday to connect with them, to deal with that issue. So that when we come together on a Sunday morning, even if it's right there in your living room uh, um, in this online format or when we get back together, that that you come ready to worship. Before God. This was an issue that we see all throughout uh, uh, scripture. It's one of the reasons why in the New Testament uh, we see over and over again the importance and the priority of unity within the church. Why? Because when there's disunity, when there's division, it causes spiritual barriers. It it affects our relationship with God. it's, It's why we see the Apostle Paul talking to the Corinthians about the fact that before they come to the table of communion, they need to examine themselves first and deal with conflict and deal with any sin. It's why in Isaiah 58 in the Old Testament, uh, God says to a people who are busy doing all sorts of fasting and other spiritual activities. He says to them that I pay no attention to your spiritual activities. Why? Because at the same time as doing all of that, you are insulting and arguing and quarreling with one another. Your relational Uh, Context is out of place, and you need to deal with that so that you can come rightly before me. You know, one of the challenges that we have right now of not being able to meet Sunday by Sunday in person together is that there's a sense in which it makes it difficult to do this because we don't get to see one another face-to-face. Face. We don't get to stop in the in the lobby before the service and, 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 and reconcile if there's any form of conflict there before coming into the sanctuary. But there may be a sense in which actually right now, Is an easier time to pursue this kind of reconciliation because this may be an opportunity that you have even today, right after this this service is done with somebody who you're sat with in your living room right now that you need to reconcile with, that you need to address a matter of conflict with. Uh, It it may be that uh, it's somebody who's not in your home and you need to call them up. And what an opportunity we have right now to express care and compassion, even to somebody who we maybe have had some issues with because we can call them up and we can just ask them, how are you doing in the midst of all of this? I was thinking of you. Do you need anything? And then get to the matter and say, listen, I feel like there's an issue between us and I don't want that to continue on. Could we talk about that? Could we address that? And pursue this reconciliation. Now, we've got to be careful we don't make the excuse here and say, well, I'm mad at this person. And so what you're saying is until I deal with it, don't come to worship. So I'm just going to stay away from worship. We can't do that. The expectation here is Jesus gives this instruction is first go be reconciled to your brother. Then. Come back and worship. And, and, and what a beautiful picture this is of when we can then come back together with that person who perhaps formerly we had issues with and we can worship together. You know, anger and conflict is a serious issue. And when it is undealt with, it impacts our relationship with others. It hinders our worship. And, and you know what? It also tarnishes our witness before a watching world how tragic it is when people who are outside of the church see people who are inside of the church talking about being at peace with God while they're being at war with one another. Go be reconciled. And then Jesus closes up this section of the sermon here with the second illustration that I've already read that begins in verse Twenty-five, and we see that peacemakers take the initiative to settle matters quickly, rather than allowing the conflict to escalate. And so Jesus gives this example now, uh, still related to this matter of anger in the heart, of, of, of conflict that has arisen, and the need to be a peacemaker. And, and he gives an example here of going to court with an accuser. Uh, he uh, shows us that uh, uh, that we must. Deal with the situation before it escalates, because you see, oftentimes, and we've all experienced this, something that can start off very small if left undealt with starts to balloon to a point that is out of control and something that was a very small issue to begin with can become a major issue. Now, in the last illustration there about leaving the gift at the altar, he, he refers to a brother. Uh, here he just simply refers to an accuser. So I think that what Jesus is doing here is he 's given first of all an example of dealing with an issue with another believer and now he 's talking about dealing with an issue that we may have with somebody who 's not a believer and and, and it 's gone kind of in a public way to uh, to the courts and so uh, we need to recognize that it's not just within the body of Christ that we need to reconcile and work through conflict, but it's also with those who are outside. And again, I think we can take this as being people who are outside because the Apostle Paul is very clear that believers ought not to engage in, in court cases uh, against one another. He tells us come quickly to terms because if you don't, the matter may escalate out of control. And and the way in which it, it happens here is that he goes and apparently he loses the case. And, and, and he ends up in, in, in jail and he ends up having to pay everything back. He's in a hopeless situation. Now. Most of us are probably not in a situation where we're maybe being taken to court, although there is an important principle here that, that, that there are times when we need to lay down our right to be right. We'll talk more about that next week. We need to lay down our right to be right, our, our right to win, even our right to have all of the details of everything come out. And, and for the sake of relationship, for the sake of reconciliation, uh, for the sake of wisdom and biblical peacemaking, well, we need to be willing to, to make some compromises, to, 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 to negotiate in order to restore relationship. It's true, sometimes we face situations with people who have no interest in forgiving. Sometimes we face uh, situations with people who refuse to negotiate, who refuse to be reconciled. But as Romans chapter 12, verse 18 tells us, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all people. When I use an anger or attack response, I am generally focusing on you, on what you've done on how I can blame you for this situation. But when I recognize my calling in Christ to be a peacemaker, then my, my focus shifts from blaming you to focusing on us, on relationship. Uh, the result of that is I start to ask some different questions. I start to ask for the sake of relationship, for the sake of honoring God, how, how can both of our needs be met? I start to ask the question, how can we use this as an opportunity for our relationship to be strengthened? And it may be that you're in conflict with somebody, uh, whether it be in your family or or, or outside of your family, whether it be a believer or an unbeliever. And and, and you need to wrestle through these. How can both of our needs be met? How can we use this as an opportunity that our relationship would not only be restored, but would actually be strengthened as a result? And as a biblical peacemaker, as a disciple of Christ, if that's what you are, Then we need to ask the question, how can I honor Christ in this situation? And do it in a way that I clearly put him on display for you and for others to see. We're called. To deal with our anger. And we're called to seek in every way that we can to be reconciled to others. So let me ask you, how would God have you respond As a peacemaker today. I mentioned earlier that the first step that some of us need to take. Is to experience uh, coming into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And and being made at peace with him. Knowing that your sins are forgiven. Receiving his gift of, of new life. If that's you today. Then I would challenge you not to wait any longer but to start this new relationship response to this invitation that Jesus makes and to join his family and to receive his peace, his grace and his forgiveness. If today you have done that, you can let us know so that we can get some resources into your hands and you can let us know by simply texting SB faith to the number 84576. That's SB faith. To eight four five seven six, or maybe you need to respond in a different way. Maybe during this time you've really been sensing a, a, a lot more anger in your life. Maybe there's been a lot more tensions that have been rising up. Maybe something that you thought was maybe just a small issue with anger in the past has just been kind of put under the microscope in this season, and and and, and you'd benefit from connecting with uh, a counselor. Uh, to talk through some of these things, or uh, that you'd like to talk with one of the pastors here. Or maybe you're just in a place where uh, you are sensing from God that you need to take a next step in your own growth, in your walk with the Lord. Again, you can let us know with that, and we can help you get connected with some resources by by texting the word SB Connect. SB for Springbrooks, SB Connect to 84576. And then finally, the command, the instruction of this passage really is not only to rein in our own anger in the power that God provides, because we can't do it in our own strength, we need Him, but is to go and be reconciled to others. And so I would plead with you for the sake of of obedience as a peacemaker, as a disciple of Christ, for the sake of unity within his body, for the sake of the glory of God, and for the sake of peace in your own life, go be reconciled. Peacemakers reign in their own anger, and they do everything that they can to reconcile with those who are angry with them. Would you pray with me? Oh, Lord, we thank you that when we had sinned against you. You did not treat us as our sins deserved, but you have shown mercy and grace by sending your son, our savior, Jesus Christ. Who came that we might be able to experience not only forgiveness of sins, but be made to be at peace with you, our heavenly father. Lord, teach us to be peacemakers by your Holy Spirit. Would you reveal within us those places where anger is prone to to rise up so that we can deal with it before you? Lord, I pray that where we experience that temptation to anger, that you would give us grace that we need to stop and to turn to you entrusting our cause to you. I pray, Father, that you would uh, teach us the rhythms of grace even this day and this week. And I especially, Lord, pray for those who may have conflict with others, relational conflict or even legal conflict, as this passage describes. Lord, I pray that you would give them wisdom to conduct themselves with godliness, to put uh, Christ Jesus on display. And I pray that you would work in the hearts of the people involved in every one of those conflict situations. Uh, that you would bring about peace and reconciliation and that Christ would be seen clearly. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And now, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Have a wonderful week, and we look forward to connecting with you again next Sunday. God bless.